He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be at all sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? powerful, isn't it? That's, that, that's the service for today. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, I got to have the chair because if I don't, I'll wander. And so, uh, so I'm Dave Stoger. I, there's, I think if, hi, Garrett, how are you? Good. There's, a few people here that, that, that don't know me, a little bit about myself, that uh, uh, one of the, the elders of the, of the church here, and I've been, Cheryl and I have been coming here since 
since the inception of the church, and it, it, what, what a great time to see how this church has grown o- over the years. But uh, today, I, I'm not really going to preach to you. I'm going to share what, what God has done in my life, in, in Cheryl and, and ours' lives, and, and some of the trials that, that we went through in life. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, I went to church here. Over here, my granddad at Wonders Apartments over here right across the street from where Johnny Baker used to live. You know, I guess that's apartments complex now. And, and uh, every Sunday, that's where we'd go to church. But so, oh, a couple things. David said, now, you got till 1230. You got to make sure you quit at 1230 because people start leaving. So, so there's this uh, guy and his wife. Yeah, she got really sick. They ended up, he, he took her to the hospital and, and was there for well, about a week or two. And, well, she ended up dying. Well, she met St. Peter at the gates and, and she said, well, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And uh, Peter says, you need to spell just one word. She said, well, what is that? She says, well, love. Well, L-O-V-E. And, and St. Peter says, well, come on in into, into heaven. Well, it was about six months later, St. Peter came to her and said, you know, look, I got to leave the gates for a little bit. Can you watch the gates for me? Well, sure. So she's sitting there, and lo and behold, her husband shows up. And, and she said, well, honey, what happened? He said, well, you know, I was washing the windows on the second story. And she said, we didn't have a two-story house. He said, yeah, I know, honey, but after you died, I, you know that, that really good-looking nurse, I was, we got married, and... And we bought a different house, and, and I was washing the windows, and she said, well, you never washed the windows for me. I said, yeah, I know, honey, but, you know, things changed a little bit. And um, he says, well, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And she looks at him. She says, you need to spell one word. And he says, well, what's that? And she looks at him. She says, Czechoslovakia. You know, growing up, my, my granddad was a, a, a Pentecostal preacher, and he, he was also a, a, a wheat farmer, and everybody in the valley knew old Gottlieb Bolger, really stern man, but when it come to time on Sunday, he, you know, he was an entirely different man. His heart, was, he was sold out for the Lord, and... You know, it was so important for us to come to church that he would come, him and grandma would come and get us and, and haul us to church. Every other Sunday, we'd go to church. And it, there was always a battle in our household because my dad was really against us kids going to church. He wanted to go to LaGrange to, to see his folks. And so they compromised. And one Sunday, we would go to LaGrange to, and see my grandpa Stoger, and then the other Sunday we'd go and, and see Grandpa Bolger, and he'd come and get us. But he bribed us 
as kids growing up. And after church, we always got a can of pop and a candy bar. And you know, back in the 60s, you kids don't realize this, that was a big deal to get, to get a, can, you know, a can of pop and a candy bar. You know, I, I can remember going to the movies, and for a quarter, you get in the movie and get a pop and a popcorn. And so, you know, in church, my, my cousin and I, it, it was more of a, we were, we were a little ornery at times. <laughs> and uh, at, at, at church, and, at Pentecostals, you know, we always got on our knees and prayed. We turned around on the bench and, and we'd pray. And one, one time I, I had this uh, fake pile of a, a dog poop, you know, and I had it sitting right beside me. And we got down and we was praying. And the guy behind, he seen that. And he gets a piece of paper and he starts trying to scoop it up, you know. And I pick it up and put it in my pocket. And oh, that was not. <laughs> You know, I made sure when I left that day that uh, I stood right beside Grandpa. And uh, that was some of the things that we did growing up in church. You know, as, as, as parents, and, and, I, and I share this with a lot of people, you know, God has given you the privilege with, with, your, with your children they really don't belong to you. They belong to God. He has just given you the privilege to raise them. And, you know, it was, it was quite interesting growing up that with my mom, she felt it was very important for us, us to be in church. But she never went. And, and you know, I, I don't understand that, why, why, why she never went. But, you know, I've, I've invited a few people when, here in the last couple of weeks that, to come and, and hear what I had to share. And, and some of the people said, you know, Dave, the, the, the building would fall in if I'd come. And, and another guy said, well, you know, I'm just not a churchgoer. And, and, and my response to them is, what, you're, you're going to wait till six men carry in before you go to church? And, you know, you kids need to be so thankful that, that your parents are bringing you here to church every Sunday. You know, what, a, what an honor that is. You know, and also growing up, there were times that my mom, I was hanging out with some, some kids and, and, and she said, you're not going to hang out with them. And, and I remember getting really angry with her. And Who are you to choose who my friends are? And, you know, and one thing she taught me in life was, and you're only as good as the people you hang with. And there's so much truth to that. You know, because I look back now and some of those kids that I used to, that she forbid me to, to hang out with, well, lo and behold... Some, some of them are, are, are dead and gone now, and some of them are in prison. And, you know, very thankful that, that she 
had the insight to say, no, you're not going to do it. And my dad, he didn't have a whole lot with, with, with his kids growing up. He was too busy working. And so, so as life went on, you know, I, I always grew up knowing who Jesus was. And I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And, and I, I dated this, this Christian gal and she had to make me promise to her that when I was with her, I, there was no partying, no drinking, no nothing. And, you know, a, a lot of my friends just couldn't believe I was dating this gal because she was, they, you know, too holy for you, Stoger. But, but I always respected her, that when I was with her, I never did any of that. But as soon as I drop her off, then the partying began. You know, and the the people that I hung with, then we'd go out and, and, and guys, I, I'd put away a case of beer every night. Every night. This is in, in high school. And, you know, and, and I could hold a case of beer and still be going. And, and, you know, but again, as I said, I respected her enough that, that while I was with her, I, I would never drink. And, you know, and my folks knew I, I was out partying. And my dad's response was, you know, if you're man enough to drink, you're man enough to get up and, and go to school or get up and go to work the next morning. And if you can't do that, then something's got to stop. You know, but my dad, you know, he always instilled in the Stogers, you're a hard worker. That's what comes first. You learn how to be a good hard worker. And you're not worth anything if you're not a good hard worker. And, you know, there, there was one night... Uh, we drank so much that uh, had a motorcycle and the guys, my friends brought me home and threw me on the front lawn and I went in the house and, and my oldest sister was there and I went back outside and she was downright mean. Instead of just taking me to my bed, she let me go outside and I, and I, and I passed out outside my dad and mom came home from the show, and, and my dad just wanted to, to just get me a, a royal beating. And my mom said, why? He's not going to remember it. <laughs> you know? And so they hauled me down to bed, and the next morning, he got me up at like 6 in the morning, and he just worked my tail end off. Oh, and, 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 I, and I just, you know how, how you feel that next day. And, and I just wanted to die. Well, that night, he said, okay, now we're going to have a little court hearing. And we, we you know, he said, oh, I'm, I'm the judge. And he had my sisters as a jury. And he said, okay, how do you want to plea in this thing? And I said, well, I guess you had to carry me downstairs. I guess I was... Pretty bad. He said, okay, now I'm going to find you a hundred bucks. 
My dad fined me $100. You know, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, as time went on, continued to live that way. And then at that time, my granddad, he, he had a church built over in Torrington on, I believe it's on East F. It's a, it's a Lifeway church. And uh, for some reason, they had a, a group of seniors, country and western, and called the Waddingtons, Waddington family. And so just, I thought, well, I'll go in just out of the blue and go and see what, what's going on. And, you know, I, I sat sort of in the back, and they sang, and, and then he, he shared the word, and he said afterwards, he said, if anybody needs prayed for, to come up. And, man, I just, in my heart, I could feel my heart just tugging, saying, you need to get up there. You need to go up there. And as I'm walking up the aisle, you know, the little voice in my head was saying, what are you doing going up there? But, you know, I got up there and I got on my knees and I just wept and wept and wept. And I finally, I said, God, here's my life. I can't change it. You know, if you want me, here I am. But you're going to have to be the one to change my life because I just can't do it. And what was, what was interesting on that, that, that night, I didn't hear a single person leave that church. When I got up, it was just my granddad and the Waddingtons, and they were all gathered around me, you know, praying and stuff. And, you know, my life immediately changed that night. And, Roy, if you put up 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and that was me that night. The old was gone. You know, before that night, I could literally cast the wallpaper off the wall. And I didn't care what people thought. I could drink anybody under the table. But that night, immediately, that night, after that service, I went to a party. And I said, start telling my friends, man, you've got to come hear these people. Something happened that night. And it totally changed me. But it, you know, it just holds true to God's word. He says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. You know, Jesus set the example, and he said, the only way we can get to heaven is through him. And 
it was after uh, about, oh, I'd say about two weeks, people quit inviting me to parties. You know, but I was on fire for the Lord because the desire to drink was gone. And, And folks, I can honestly say, I believe I was the alcoholic at that time. My language was totally changed. And everybody kept saying, Stoker, there's something different about you. But everybody kept saying, hey, don't invite Stoker. He'll start preaching to you. You know? But I was a, I was a new, new creation. And see, that's what people want to hear in your life. Is, what is God doing in your life today? You know, that's what's going to make a difference. Is how real is God to you? And what's he doing in your life today? And and the second thing is, you know, how much do you really care about these people you're sharing with? You know, Ricky Teeters and, and I, we always have this little saying, you know, God, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, so again, with your testimony in your life, what, what is God doing in your life? And you know, there was a period in, in my life where, man, nobody had wanted to have anything to do with me. And, and I felt like Moses out in the wilderness. And... And, and and that was a real struggle for me, because at the time I was really popular and, and I was a people person, and I like hanging with friends, but God's just he he set me apart from all these people. And then a gentleman by the, the name of Dave Milton he came and he started the, the coffee house ministry in Torrington, and I'd say what is the coffee a coffee house well. Back then, it was just a building, a place where teens and, and college-age people could come and gather. And, you know, what a, what a wonderful ministry we had then. You know, during the summertime, we had as many, one night a week, we, we'd do a, just a, a get-together. And we had about 100 people from the valley coming and we'd go to the park and, and sing and share and you know the, the valley was just really on fire for the Lord then well it was when about that time Middleton said I got to go back to college I'm going to put you in charge and you know I thought, oh my word I said you don't know what you're doing no, he said, man, I've really prayed about it, and God wants you to be in charge of this thing. And that was a good thing, because it really made me get into the Word and study and stuff like that. But, you know, and, and seeing some real interesting times, how there was a lot of people, a lot of young people's lives being changed, getting saved. And then ended up getting married. And I'll tell you right now, guys, 
Don't, you know, the old saying, don't laugh at your wife's choices because you're one of them. And, you know, Mary Cheryl, she came here to teach at the Christian school. And a couple years later, we had our first child. And what a miracle in itself. You know, every, every dad here can remember when every one of their kids were born. What, what, what a miracle it is. You know, but in that, in that, that miracle that Natalie was, was posterior, and then plus she had the cord wrapped around her, her, her neck two times, and so they had to do an emergency C-section. And so they said it was good that we had to do this because she, it probably would have broke her neck if she would have went through natural childbirth. So right there, the miracle started in our life. I've got to keep myself notes here. Then a couple, about a year and a half later, we had my first son. And, and Cheryl wanted to have a natural, but had to have a C-section because he was too big. And I'll never forget, you know, then they wouldn't let, let me go in to, to watch the, the, the C-section. And so they, they brought Josh out and they had, had him in the incubator. And a good friend, Dick Young, he was there through all my crisis I was, a couple times. But I'll, I'll never forget this. When they brought Josh out, I'm sitting there looking at him and I thought he was deformed. Because I seen this little tiny butt and these big shoulders. And I seriously thought, something's wrong with this kid. And the old Dick grabs my hand, he shoves it in there, and said, You need to touch your son. You know? And and I didn't really say a whole lot. And finally I, I told Cheryl, got a hair in my mouth. I told Cheryl, I said, because she said, What in the world's wrong? You're awful quiet. I said, Cheryl, there's something wrong with our son. His butt's deformed or something. And she said, he's a boy, come on. (laughs) You know, and and with that, Josh had jaundice real bad. And they were, were just getting ready to do a blood transfusion on him. Because his count was up to like 21, and it, and they, that morning they were going to do a blood transfusion, and he said, "Okay, we're going to check it one last time," and it dropped way down to like six. And the doctor said, "Wow, that's a miracle! I have never seen that." You know, so right there, another way how God took care of my kids. Well. It was about 18 months later, Josh developed uh, a pseudomonas in his lungs, which is a really bad bacteria. And we didn't realize just how sick he was, but he spent a month in the hospital. And every other day, they had to change the IV from arms to legs, stuck it in his head, and it you know, and every time they would make me hold him down, put a towel around him and hold him down. And it just amazes me 
how strong an 18-month-old would be. Cheryl couldn't do it, you know. But after a month in the hospital, we got to bring him home. But he was still a really sick little boy. But our doctor, the day we got set to bring him home, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a miracle boy. He said, because I really thought he was going to die. He said, every night I'd go home and my wife would, would say, is the Stoger boy still alive? And, but he didn't reveal that to us. Well, it was about a month later, and he was still really sick. He would throw up, and we finally, the doctor said, okay, it's time to take him to Children's Hospital. And we got there, and, you know, at Children's, if you've ever been there before, it's an amazing place. But you don't see one doctor, you see a team. And they did a, they scoped him. And, and on the way out, they would, would, they seen this when he would exhale, this tumor in his throat would, would stick out. And the doctor said, it's a miracle we found it. And we said, no, it's not. We've got people from all over praying for, for Josh. And he said, well, I believe that too, that it was God's direction that I found this. And he was a Christian. And he said, but here's the problem that we face, that if we go in there and, and, and remove that tumor, it's right at the base of the vocal cords. And when we remove that, we, we have the, the, the chance of, of, of severing his vocal cords. You know, but to me, there was no, no option. We, they, had to, they had to remove it. And again, where was my, my good friend Dick? Right there at our side. You know, he came up there. It was Ruthie's birthday, but where was he? He was with me. And it was, one thing that was quite interesting through this whole ordeal that I found that when Cheryl was down, God would lift my spirit. When, when I was down, God would lift her spirit. And people, you know, and how people played a part, our, our church played a part in all this. And so they went in there and removed the tumor. And I went in there and... You know, this little guy had tubes stuck out of him everywhere. Just, you know. And, but the next day they pulled everything out and they said, you can take him home. And wow. You know, what? So the first thing, he was hungry. And we took him and they said, can we feed him whatever he wants to eat? Said if it hurts him, he'll he'll stop. We took him to McDonald's. What did he eat? Like a Big Mac all by himself, and a whole bunch of stuff, you know. And I, but you know, one thing I remember about this whole thing was, and you want to be careful what you tell people in hard times. Be wise in your words, because I, there was a person that come to me and they said, you know, David. If you'd get the sin out of your life, 
your son could be healed. You know, and, and that was a devastating remark. But it was after that in, uh, if you want to bring up James 1, 2 through 3. Consider it all joys, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I want to bring up verse 9. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trials, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, to this day, it, when trials come, we're, we're supposed to be thankful for them. But the end result is we're going to receive the, the crown of life. But, you know, what really, what really is endurance? You know, you can always tell when, when hunting scenes comes around because you see all these guys starting to wear packs and they're walking around town and getting ready for the hunt. Or runners, they'll, they'll push themselves to the end. And that's what, what God does to us. He's preparing us to see. And, and sometimes we sit there and say, I don't know how, how we, can, we can go any farther on this. It was after that. that our, our kids started getting older then and every one of us in the family knew how to do the Heimlich and because Josh would, would, was constantly choking and to this day he still has a problem and uh, there were a few times that we had to call the ambulance and they'd come and get him and then they'd stick a scope down and push it down because it this paralyzed the bottom part of his vocal cords, and he still struggles. Here a while back, about two, three months ago, I was just about to call the ambulance, and he lays down on the floor, and I thought, okay, here, and he finally relaxed enough to where it finally went down, you know. And, but it, it was, that time, the, the kids were, we're starting to become teenagers and stuff, and we started doing foster care. And, you know, we probably had between 40 and 50 kids go through our house. And I had to admire my wife, because we had the, these, the, these two little girls that we'd come over, and her and old Debbie Miller from across the street would have to go through and pick the head lice out of their head right as soon as they come to the house. And I, man, I cannot do that. No, no. <laughs> and Natalie, 
she had come home from college and she said, if, if, if I get this head lice and take it back, you know, I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> you know, and, but in, in Matthew 25, 40, basically it says, you know, because a lot of people said, why do you do this foster care? And, and, I, and I, you know, I, well, somebody told me I'm going to get rich over this. But there's a verse that says, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And, and there's thousands of kids out there that want a stable environment. And, and my, my wife's heart is bigger than her head. Because there would be times when I was out on fires with, with old Ricky that I would literally call her up and say, if there's any more new kids in my house, put my bags on the front step. And because every time I'd come home, we had new kids. And, you know, there's a little old saying when you're doing foster care that, uh, you know, hold on because someday you'll get charged with, with abuse. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And, yeah, I was charged a couple times. This one little redhead that we had. He found out his brothers were moving and he wanted to go with him. So he told the social worker that, that, that I, I, I would handcuff him to the bed at night and wouldn't feed him supper. I said, oh, yeah, I do that. I put him in a box too and, you know. But the, the key is Cheryl made a big difference in these kids' lives. And it's exciting to see some of these, these kids now that they're growing up and, and how their lives are changed. And we made it a point that everyone that came through, that before they might not have got saved, but they knew who Jesus was. Well, it was at that time that we had a real disaster in our house. And I mean, it shook my faith, folks. And we had a, a family member take advantage of some of the neighborhood kids, and, and my son was involved. And, and folks, it devastated me. It took my faith to the very bottom. Because I said, because every day we pray for, that God would protect our kids. And I said, if you can't protect my kids in times like this, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I mean, it literally, Dick would come over. Toby would come over. There was another one, Ricky T. And we're not here to tell you about Jesus. We're here to be your friend. And you can say whatever you want about God. He's a big God. He can take it. He still loves you. But you can get as mad as you want. But I'm your friend. And I'm going to stick by your side no matter what. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know what I would have done without you three guys. 
Because, you know, not only did it devastate our house, but the family life. Because my dad was so upset at me for turning it in. But there was a three-year period that, that it just totally, our, our family was in total disarray. Which was good. You know, in the sense that I'm there to protect my kids. You know, but that thing, as I said, it devastated my faith. And I slowly came back. And then uh, talking to Cheryl, what, what in our, our lives was the hardest on you? Later on in life, I was broadsided at an intersection. And because of that, I've got three herniated discs in my neck and live with constant headaches and live on pain pills. And, and you know, I, I, I've tried everything They've, with the doctors, everything but surgery. But they've all said, you know, your chances are coming out worse than when you went in. And I'm not willing to take that risk right now. But that was the hardest thing for Cheryl because she said it changed my life. And, and, and she struggled with that with God. And so, again, trials. What do they do to your faith? You know, then later on we had a greenhouse that a lot of you remember, and boy, did we have trials there. We had things froze. We had one greenhouse that just getting ready to ship plants and, and snowed real bad, and it caved in. And, of course, there's old Dick Young and Ricky and, and some of the other guys were out scooping the snow off the, the, that, that greenhouse. And then... There was one year that, that Pampac went under, and they took a bunch of his businesses with them. And their comment to me was, welcome to the real world. Welcome to big business. And they took me for thousands of dollars. And the next year, we had a fire. And for some reason, where the fire was, everything else was insured but that one building. Now, I was talking to Cheryl. Why do you think we went through that? Because it ended up, we had to file bankruptcy. The corporation had to file bankruptcy. And, and it was Cheryl, she said, it was God's way of getting us out of this. Because without that, you would have kept going and going and going, trying to make it work. Because that's who you are. And, and she's, she was Right. But that, that bankruptcy, you talk about, it, it humbled me. You know, they give you this little sheet of paper and you've got to fill out all your assets and everything down to where, how many pairs of underwear do you have in your drawer? And, and you know, but through that greenhouse, is, uh, 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 Dick shared something with me. And I've shared this a lot, people, that when you're helping somebody, you as the individual that's receiving the help, let people help you. Don't rob people of their joy of helping you. You suck up your pride and let them help you. 
Because that's where they receive their joy is, is through helping you. And that's what Christians do in the time of hard times. But don't rob people of their joy who want to help you. But back up a little bit, when we were doing foster care, we ended up adopting Matt. We had two, two of our own birth children, and we adopted Matt. His granddad came to us and said, hey, would you take our grandson? He needs a good home. And Cheryl said, sure. No, I said, sure, too. <laughs> and then an, another grandparent come to us and said, can you take my grandkids? Because if you don't take them, they're going to go to the orphanage. And I told Cheryl, oh, we can't let these, these babies go to the orphanage. And so we adopted two more. And everybody thought we were nuts. Our kids thought we were nuts. Because, hey, you're supposed to get out and enjoy life. But, you know, when God puts something in front of you, you need to be listening and take Take advantage of it, because it's a blessing in life, for the most part. You know, we had a hard times with Matt, Dick, you know. There were a few times I said, Dick, you better come talk to this kid before I uh, bury him or something, you know. But, but what a blessing they are now. And now in our chapter of life, God has blessed us with grandchildren. And if you don't have grandchildren, you need to go find some. <laughs> you need to go rent them, do whatever it takes. You know, if there's people in the church that have little ones, hey, go offer to take care of their, their, their kids so mom, dad can go out and have a night alone. But there is nothing so delightful when that little one grabs your finger and says, Papa, I just love ice cream. And the mother would say, no, they can't go for ice cream. Oh, yes, they can. They're at my house. (laughs) You know, every one of us here has, has had hard times in our life. But think back of how God has been faithful to you and got you through these hard times. You know, I want to leave you with this. You know, where's your faith? When was the last time you shared your faith? You know, there's a lot of hurting people out there. And it's easy to trust in God in in, in good times, but what about the hard times? You know? You know, and, and then last is your family. You know, I told my... Matt, our adopted son, I said, you know, Matt, I'm going to tell you right now. The world don't care about you. You can die today, and the world is going to go on. 
But what really matters is your family and your Christian family. And, and it was in our hard times, in every one of our hard times, it was my Christian brothers that, that, that took us through these hard times. You know, and man, I, I really encourage you to find someone, a Christian brother, sister, that, that, that you can share your hard times with, you can laugh with, that you can cry with. There's a, a thing in your bulletin, real quick, that, pull that out, that Charles Swindoll talks about attitude. And it says, <clears throat> the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, the money, the circumstances, than failure, than success, than any other, than what other people think or say or do. <clears throat> it is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for the day. There's a lot of truth in that. That when you face hard times, what's the attitude that, that you're going to embrace for the day? And, you know, hold on to God. Because at the end, he's the one that really cares. And, you know, I have a hard time understanding God's love. You know, and I know my love for my kids is just unfathomable that, you know, the bond that we have. But how much greater is God's love for us? That he sent his only begotten son for us. So... So with that, I guess we will break in and we'll do con- communion together. <clears throat> Again, as, as with communion, you don't have to be a member of the church. The main thing is that you know who Jesus is and that you've accepted Christ. And so with that, the ushers will come and we'll do communion. <clears throat>